Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. folks, welcome back to the podcast. I have with me a remarkable young lady today by the name of Crystal Lavender. If you guys haven't heard of her, you're probably going to. She's a survivor of child trauma, uh, 20 plus years of drug use, homelessness. There's a lot more stuff too, but I'm gonna have her tell you about it. She tells a lot better than I do. Uh, Welcome to the show, Crystal. Thank you very much, Amanda. It's a pleasure to be here. I am excited to meet you. Um, We originally met through a service called Podmatch. Um, I'm brand new to that service. So if there's other podcast hosts out there that are looking to book guests, this is a great way to do it because I probably, I don't know that I would have found you otherwise, Crystal. Your, Your story is just incredible. Can you start by telling us just a little bit about where did you grow up? What part of the world were you in? Well, I kind of grew up all over the place. For not being a military kid, I sure moved around a lot. Um, I was born in Orange County, California, and then we moved to Georgia, and then we moved to Florida, and then we moved back to Colorado. And like I, I, I've lived all over the place. My last guest actually had kind of the same story. Not military family, but still moved all over the place. I myself- I'm pretty sure I went to like 14 different elementary schools. Oof. That is far worse than me. And I actually was in a military household. <laughs> I have moved 43 times myself. Oh, hopefully yeah, now in my last. In my one. adulthood, I've, I've actually stayed in one spot for 10 years, which is the longest I've ever stayed anywhere ever in my life. So, wow. I found some sort of, sort of stability in my later adulthood. But yeah, I moved around a lot as a child. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to find that stability, too. You know, it just kind of, it seems so evasive for so long. Um, So when did your childhood abuse uh, begin uh, to kind of haunt you? Um, Well, I was born premature and I was born six weeks early. And technically I killed my mom for about three minutes in my birth. Like she technically was dead for about three minutes while having me. So I was born immediately into trauma. And they, by my second year checkup, they thought I had leukemia. I was not making red blood cells. So um, I had originally given my first to my babysitter before I was even three and a half years old. So before I was even making red blood cells, I had already been introduced into, uh, into sexual child abuse. Wow. Um, I don't particularly remember that. Um, I remember the story my mom told me, like my mom, my mom has, you know, let me know that I came up to her, like uh, the the babysitter, she got home from the babysitter and I was like, guess what I did today, mom? She's like, what was that, sweetheart? And I was like, I- nope, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Nope. You know, and she was like, oh, really? 
So I don't remember too much about that experience except for the story that she has told me. Um, and then it just continued on, not with my babysitter. Like he ended up getting prosecuted for doing appropriate things with his niece. Like later on, he ended up going to jail for doing inappropriate stuff with his own niece. So by my fifth grade year, I had lost my virginity to my older cousin playing house. You know, I was the wife, he was the husband. Um, and I remember that very vividly. There was a time in my life where they had put me into one of those little rooms with the anatomically correct dolls, you know. And at the time, my father, like I used to go to the bathroom in the same in the same place with my dad. So I had the anatomically correct doll, like use the bathroom and, and shake off his. Nope. The therapists freaked out. And, you know, next thing I know, they're hauling my dad away. Um, my mom ended up having a mental breakdown over the whole experience. I was trying to take a nap one time, but I wouldn't go to sleep. I was learning how to whistle. And I remember being super excited about learning how to whistle. And my mom completely lost it. She started stabbing up the house and had to call a, a caseworker to come and get us. Like my dad came and got us. And, you know, it turned out that my it wasn't my dad that was doing things. Um, but they never discovered anything about my cousins because after that experience, I, I pretty much like I was like, oh, no, I better keep my mouth shut. Like I can't. I can't say anything to anybody, you know? Right. So from a very, very early age, like the the thought of keeping my mouth shut and the consequences of, of saying something were terrifying to me. So I kept, a, I kept it all inside from a very early age. Wow. That had to be hard, not feeling like you had anybody that you could really talk to about it. Do you think that's what led to your other issues later on? Um, absolutely. Uh, I, I had no no idea what the word no was you know a lot of a lot of sexual like a lot especially child childhood sexual abuse survivors like we have the inability that our, our ability to say no and without it being a question and it being a statement um was really stripped from us as children you know um right. the fact that we didn't feel like we could tell tell the person no or the person that we love no or whoever was hurting us no and even if we did say no it continued to happen anyways and then once you speak up about it um usually people don't they don't believe you or um they they victim blame or um they don't take it seriously so most of us most of us childhood sexual abuse survivors had had no ability to say no so that that transferred into my young adult life for sure. Like I was definitely a yes person. Um, I did, I did a lot of things and put myself in a lot of positions, especially sexual wise that I did. I, I, I think I had more sex with people that I didn't want to have sex with than people that I did because right. I had no idea how to say no. It was just like, okay, well, if you just, if you don't fight, you're not going to get hurt. You know, if you just let it happen, it'll be over with. Like my disassociation was probably my all-time favorite favorite escape mechanism. I spent a lot of my teen years there too. I mean, and and, and it didn't seem scary at the time, but right. once I had I had my own child and realized all of the things that I had already been experiencing and had already been doing, you know, it it blew my mind how much my innocence was really shattered. Because at the time, like, I felt like, oh, you know, this didn't affect me. Like, there's, my cousins had no effect on my ability to do nothing. You know, I felt like I was like this Billy, you know, this, I was this little punk rock teenager and living in the streets of Vegas thinking that, 
none of my childhood experiences had anything to do with it. But that was just, you know, I was rebellious and, you know, that's just who I wanted to be. And Hey, I'm still alive. They didn't change me. Yeah, exactly. They didn't do nothing to me. I'm, I'm good, you know? So it it took, it, it took way to my adulthood to find out that, no, that really, really did affect me. Right. And it was hard to admit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I went through that too. It was really hard to admit. There was a lot of that kind of stuff in my own past that I wasn't willing to admit until 2019. That was, yeah. it's hard when you come to that moment where you start to have to acknowledge, hey, this did happen to me. And this is linked to all these other things that I went through. How old were you when the drug use started? Um, I, it was right around my 13th birthday. We had just moved into a trailer park um, off of Washington Avenue. I lived in Las Vegas at the time. And I remember being so excited to finally have my own room, you know, and my 13th birthday came with a lot of new changes. Not only did I have my very own room, I now had this phone that was now super glued to my head and the cute older guy with his own place and own car wanted me of all people to come over. So I devised a plan to sneak out of my house. This was the very first time I'd seen it. And from the very first time I'd seen it, it came in a brick. And at 13 years old, I thought I found the love of my life. And we even had the same name. My name is Crystal. And from, from the time I was 13 years old, like I was in my first drug rehabilitation by 14. Like I hit the ground running from wow. 13, 13 on. And this and, plagued you for a long time, it seems like. Yeah, off and on, um, methamphetamine was my drug of choice. Um, it was something that I had battled with for the, from the time I was 13 until I found out I was pregnant when I was 21. And then after that, I, I went to drinking, um, you know, because at least I wasn't smoking meth. I, di- I didn't think that there was a problem with the drinking, even though I was drinking like three or four, 30 racks of PBR and a couple half gallons of, of Kentucky Deluxe. You know, at least I wasn't smoking meth. So I, I always kind of like justified having alcoholic boyfriends or um, the drinking that I was doing. Cause like I said, I grew up, I, I, I was very much a punk rocker. Like I had a Mohawk. I had dreadlocks from the time I was 17. Um, I've, I was a lead singer for a punk rock band. I'm a, I'm a tattoo artist. Like I, I hitchhiked all over the country. Um, I was homeless on the streets of Vegas by the time I was 15. And not to say that I didn't have a home. Like my mom, my mom was a single mom. Like me, me and my mom and my little brother all lived in Naked City, which is like right smack dab in Las Vegas Boulevard next to the stratosphere. You know, me and my mom shared a bed and my little brother slept on the floor. We had like hooker red shag carpet and this neon light in the alleyway that wasn't even big enough for a person that was constantly flickering. You know, my next door neighbor was a prostitute that we all called her mama. She always just used to try to give us sequin belly shirts, you know, and introduce me to older guys. And um, and I I ran away um, quite right. a bit. Like I, I, I cry for my mom these days, like having to be a mother to me and a single mother at that. Like my parents got divorced um, right before my fifth grade year. I was on Sally Jesse Raphael right around my fifth grade year. Um, my my mom called in. They, they were like, oh, does your daughter look older than she is and is driving you crazy? So my mom called in and they flew us first class from Grand Junction to New York. 
And um, I thought it was really, I was so excited, you know, but I was still so innocent minded. Like I still had no idea the things that I was doing were inappropriate or um, like being the, the popular quote unquote neighborhood girl was completely inappropriate. Um, I just thought that, that, that sex equaled love, you know, and right. that kind of, that kind of continued on throughout most of my life. I kept finding um, the same demon in a different person until I learned what like true, like truly loving ourselves myself really was like, everybody hears that word, you know, that little cliche, love yourself. You got to love yourself, but nobody tells you how or what that encompasses. Right. And what was that for you? For me, it was really learning to say no. Like I, I said yes to, Hey, Crystal, do you want to do this? Yeah, sure. Even though my inside was screaming, no, you don't want to do this. You know, um, it, it was really learning to stop people pleasing and to learn to listen to my inner child um, and to honor what my soul really wanted or did not want. And it took a lot, a lot of really strong, like at first when I learned how to say no, it was more of a question. I'd be like, no, you know, kind of waiting to get, to get like a dog being beat, you know? Right. You're waiting for then, that approval for your no either approval or, you know, waiting for somebody to lash out about it or, yeah. you know, that in, in fear that I wasn't going to have a boyfriend or in fear that I wasn't going to have a friend or, you know, if I say no to this, then how are they going to view me, you know, and I had no real concept of uh, the fact that I really didn't want to do it in the first place. Right. So learning how to say no was probably my biggest, biggest step towards um, not only my addiction recovery, but finding love for myself and and honoring my inner child. You know, my nose at first, it was like a toddler, you know, people be like, Hey, Crystal, do you want to be I'm like, no, you know, everything was no, Hey, Crystal, no, Hey, Crystal, nope, you know, yeah. and then after after a while, my nose became more of a statement, and less of a question, you know, and they so, don't they don't tell you that that loving yourself is telling people you love no, you know, um, if you really don't want to do something, then, then you have to honor yourself. And a lot of times, like, especially like trauma survivors and uh, people that didn't have the, that had that ability to say no ripped away from them, that didn't know how to set boundaries when they were younger, have a tendency to be people pleasers. You know, we think if we're just constantly, yes, 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 you know, hey, do you want to come over to my house at two o'clock in the morning? And you know, come, come screw me at two o'clock in the morning. We're like, yeah, because this person, you feel like you give, you give, you give, this person should love you more, but in all actuality, all it shows is that you don't love yourself. So, I mean, how is somebody going to respect you when you don't respect yourself? You know, so my, my idea of love was completely skewed for a long time, including self-love. Right. And there's one part of your past that I think has been glamorized a lot through uh, film and television and I, I want to hear your take on what it was like during the time that you were homeless and riding freight trains and hitchhiking across America in all honesty that was probably some of like the best times of my life like having absolutely nothing I mean I was homeless by choice so I mean I always had my I always had some place to be so it wasn't like I had just lost everything and was homeless be out of out of you know failure or whatnot I was kind of you know just this young um, teenager that was 
that was wild and carefree. So I, I definitely wouldn't recommend, you know, uh, it was easier for me to get rides being a younger teenager, even though I did put myself in a lot of scary, scary positions. The, the most freeing I ever was when I owned, I owned nothing. You know, I had nothing that was owning me. I don't know if we own our stuff or if our stuff owns us. So, um, like if I wasn't getting a ride, I could just cross the street and go back the way that I came from. You know, I learned about God from an old seventies freedom fighter on the side of the road, uh, that picked us up in North Carolina. Um, like we had just slept on this church ground. I, I mean, I, I, it was scary. I'm not going to say that it wasn't scary, but I was kind of like a, you know, this little punk rock, um, no care to the world, you know, just out there free. Uh, I didn't do a lot of it by myself. I, I always had a boyfriend or a group of people. That sounds like so that would have been a lot safer. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely wouldn't recommend um, being a single woman hitchhiking on the road, hitchhiking on the road, unless, you know, you're armed for sure, especially nowadays. I mean, I did run into several like tricky situations, you know, drunk drivers, people trying to pick me up to prostitute me. Um, there are a lot of creepy people out there, no doubt. A lot of creepy people, but they're also just as, as equal and opposite. Like everything is equal and opposite. So there were a lot of really amazing people out there as well. Oh, absolutely. And to help you too, I've noticed. There's in some of the darkest situations that a lot of my guests have ever been in, there's been both the quintessential angel and devil on their shoulders. And these people will come out and act in these different roles. And a lot of times it's hard to trust the good ones because you believe that just because they're being nice, they want something from you because that's the way we've been kind of conditioned. But when we can move past that and tr- actually trust those good people, we have incredible things come our way. Yeah, I would definitely say my road experience, I was I was blessed with more positivity than I was than than the negativity. You know, I heard lots of my other friends because um, I traveled with the Rainbow Gathering. So um, and if you haven't heard of the Rainbow Family, it's like a bunch like there's it's the world's largest non-member non-organization organization in the world. It's, you know, 50, 60,000 people that gather in the national forest and we build kitchens and um, feed people for free. It's all free. Anybody with the belly button can join. So it's kind of like a, a homeless person's like utopia, you know? Wow. So I, I traveled a lot with the rainbow family and in that experience, I see both the good, the, the amazing, the absolutely blissful and just equally as opposite, just most mortifying, disgusting kind of, you know, situations that, you know, every, every kind of, every kind of person you can find there, you know, from doctors and lawyers to, you know, the, the person that is sleeping with his dog, you know, um, I, I, I've experienced a very well-rounded, uh, plethora of different types of people for sure in that experience. Wow. It sounds like an interesting group, like, like there could be a lot learned from their kind of shared experiences. Oh, it was absolutely freeing for me. Like it, it really, uh, the rainbow family, like they're, they're always like welcome home, you know, and everybody gives you a hug and it's like a real heartfelt type of hug and they're completely strangers, but they love you. And 
uh, everything is free. Like all the food that you eat is free. It's all put together because every single person that, that attends has a piece of the puzzle and together we make a whole, you know, and, and in that comes a lot of, you know, there is a lot of negativity. There is a lot of, you know, there's some child abuse that goes on. There's a lot of drug use that happens there, but there's also a, a huge amount of just spiritual awakening and, uh, like we, we re reforest the forest, you know, and you have, there is no electricity, there's no porta potties, there's no, you know, everything is brought in and, and set up by hand, you know, they build stages and just some of the architecture that people are, are able to do with some rope and some trees is, is amazing. But that was a, a huge part of my life was traveling with the rainbow family and hitchhiking and hopping trains and wow. um, it kind of saved me when I was younger. It gave you a new family. It sounds like. Yeah, Somewhere absolutely. To, yeah. That's, it's kind of cool. I mean, I'm sure a lot of those people probably had uh, similar experiences to what you went through. And there's, there's this sense of community that we have when we talk to people who can, uh, empathize with and understand what it is that we've been through when the rest of the world really just can't ever get it. For sure. And it's called the family. It's like, um, it's made up of all, all colors, all religions, all nationalities that are all formed together and they're known as the rainbow warriors. Um, That's cool. Is and, there information? And sometimes they... Go ahead. <laughs> is there information if people want to learn more about them and to become a part or donate to them? Is there information available on the internet about them? Um, absolutely. It's just, you could look up the rainbow gathering or welcomehome.org. Um, oh. It happens all year long in every single country. I mean, there's been national rainbow gatherings in Israel, in Australia, in um, Pakistan, like it everywhere, like it happens everywhere. And it also happens all year long. The winter time, it usually happens in Florida. It's like this, cir this, this trail. Uh, but we're also part of uh, the domestic terrorists. They, they consider us domestic terrorists because we don't pay for permits. We don't, um, they, they don't, like the government doesn't like it, like, that type of gathering with no leader there is no leader there's nobody to blame there's nobody to to look like you can be as as involved as you want to be so it it's it's quite interesting <laughs> but yeah you can yeah. find them online there are also videos um and it's not always it's not everyone's cup of tea but it's definitely worth worth visiting that's very cool seed mean star seed uh that's really what what put me on mission a star seed is uh a light being like an, so like we're all born from source and there's this planet out here called earth that kind of did a, a outsource like a cry for help from all the you know that's off balance the negative to positive on the planet and the energy is kind of off balance so it's like the earth sent out a a call for help for volunteers to come and help set the balance back for the earth, you know, to, to be, to, to spread unconditional love to the ley lines of the planet. Um, 
And a star seed is here as a volunteer to kind of eat the sins of the planet, which I found interesting because my tattoo shop was named Sin Eater. And a Sin Eater back in the day would eat the sins of a deceased person, like a, a rich person in town would pay a degenerate in beer and bread to eat the sins of a deceased person that they could get into heaven. So to me, a star seed was pretty much like a sin eater on a galactic scale. And once I found out about being a volunteer, like the, the whole idea of, of karma never really made sense to me. I mean, how does a baby inquire so much karma that they're, you know, raped to death? Like that never set well with me. So the idea of being a volunteer to kind of take on all of these traumatic experiences to be able to transmute the energy into something light um, made way more sense to me. It, 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 it struck a chord inside of my soul that I was like, oh, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here as a volunteer to take on all of these neg negative things because, I mean, I've still remained such a positive person and such a loving person. And I've always felt like I had like this big mission, but I wasn't sure what it was. And then when I came across the word, across the term starseed or lightworker, it just like flooded me with, with resonance. You know, um, I started doing research on what a starseed mission was and what a lightworker does. And pretty much we're volunteers, you know, that all of these things didn't happen, happen to us. Like we, we took them on as a contract for our soul to learn how to transmute and to still vibrate in positive energy, you know, because one one person you know they'll have parents that are alcoholics and they'll have two children and one of those children will turn into an alcoholic because their parents are an alcoholic and the other child will never touch alcohol because their parents were an alcoholic so it's kind of like we are 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 setting the balance of of being able to handle all of this traumatic experience and to turn it into into purpose into mission like what you're doing what what I'm doing to to help the the collective consciousness like rise above their own victim their own own victimhood like they're like the whole planet's kind of in the hood and we're trying to trying to help everybody out of the hood you know is is probably the the more understandable way that I can put it that's pretty cool. And it's cool that you're using your tattoo shop for this too. Is there a correlation between trauma and tattoos typically? Um, I'm not sure. I've never really done any sort of research on, on that. Like I started hanging out in a tattoo shop when I was like 16 years old, I got my first tattoo and my mom signed the paperwork saying I was 18. So I was always in the tattoo shop and then I learned how to be a tattoo artist and then um, ended up owning my own shop, but I lost that shop, um, and I haven't tattooed since then, because I, I ended up, not only was I abused as a child, like, I ended up falling in love with someone that was abusing his own child, so oh. I, yeah, that, that was a whole other, um, a whole other type of pers perspective, like yeah. it made me realize like not only did I it, it made me realize how manipulative these predators are you know yes. and how and how easily it is for someone to not believe what it is that they're seeing you know it made it it really it really made me forgive like my mom my my mother's mother for you know and all the other parents out there that were not strong enough to actually face that reality because it was it was way harder than I ever thought it would be 
You know, when, when I was younger, I'd always say, well, if I ever caught a, a person doing this, like I would just, you know, da, 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 you know? And then when I found myself in that position, it was, it was really, really, really difficult to really face that reality that the person that I loved was doing these things to his child. Like predators are some of the most manipulative gaslighting people you will, you know, and they're convincing. They're so convincing. Um, and they like to victim blame and they put it back on you. And, you know, then you feel guilty for ever questioning them and, you know, because you honestly genuinely love this person. So, and they're, they're just playing with you the whole time. I lost my tattoo shop in the process of dealing with the person that I love doing inappropriate things with his daughter. Wow. Well, I and hate to hear I was, that you lost your shop, but I'm really happy to hear you lost him. It took a long time. Like they diagnosed me with CPTSD, like, cause it was my word against his, you know, I, I did end up calling uh, child protective services. And at that time he wasn't living in my house anymore. And so he just pretty much said that I was a crazy ex-girlfriend and, you know, that I was just, you know, out to get him, but nobody knew like the, the hundreds of hours I spent, like, did I see that? Did I not see that? Staying awake all night, you know, trying to figure out if I was crazy or not. Like I, I, I had a really hard time. Like I was so angry with universe. Like it was one thing for me to go through it, but it was a whole other thing for like, I was so mad. I was mad at everything, everyone. Um, I pretty much locked myself away and they diagnosed, I diagnosed me with CPTSD and I ended up on disability and I was terrified. I was terrified of leaving my house. I mean, I had never had enemies before, but all of our friends were the same friends and he's, he was related to half of the town here. Oof. Threatening me, you know, so um, anywhere that I, anytime that I left my house, it was like, I didn't know who was coming around the corner. And I was, ter- I was literally terrified. You know, my mom's ringtone would go off in her pocket and my startle reflex was so bad that I would just instantly start crying. Um, oh, I didn't leave my house for years. It took a long time for me to, to be able to transmute that type of that type of energy, you know, cause nothing really happened to him. I never got to talk to the police. It was my word against his. And a lot of the people that were around me, my so-called friends, you know, that heard me cry every day about it, you know, cause I was still pretty vocal. It was traumatic for sure. It was probably the most traumatic experience I've ever, ever dealt with was, was living with somebody that was doing inappropriate things with his daughter and trying to decipher if I was crazy or just triggered or if it was really going on. And then, then having to face the reality of making that phone call and actually like, no, this is really happening. And then dealing with all the consequences after that, it it took, it took a lot of strength and it really made me understand you know, there are so many, so many um, survivors out there that are really angry with their parents. You know, why didn't you do anything? Why, why wasn't this taken care of? How come nobody, nobody said anything? And it really, really made me understand how that is possible. Like how someone could just not see it or just not want to see it or not know how to deal with it. Um, Cause until you're in that experience, like you have no idea how, terrifying it really is well and there's so many things that factor in too i mean if you love this person you love them you want to protect them 
you also want to protect the child. So you're already torn. Now, if you make this accusation and you don't have proof, it's going to happen exactly like what happened to you, where you are then labeled as crazy by him, by his family, by the local police. You're not believed. You're ostracized. And if it goes the other way and and you are believed, you stand to possibly destroy this person's life. How do you make that kind of a decision? That, that's not a normal kind of decision anybody should ever have to make. It was, it was really difficult. Yeah. You know, I have, a, I have an insert in my book um, where I would write poems about it. You know, and one of the poems I wrote was called Fast Hands. It was like, fast hands, fast hands, what are you running from? The ultimate sin. I've seen every act of sloppy tracks laid out like the bread brick path that you forgot to sweep. It's more than dirty. It's disgusting. The secret you wish to keep. Bury it down. Pretend it's not there. But the smell, it lingers. Its taste is far too familiar. Your signature left stains more permanent than you think. I cannot sleep. I cannot sleep. I cannot sleep. And he, like, that was the only thing that we ever fought about was him being inappropriate with his child other than that like we I mean he was a lead singer of a band I was a lead singer of a band you know like we did everything together like it it was really it it was really heart-wrenching you know and I know that he's still out there and he's still just saying that I'm just some crazy crazy ex-girlfriend like I actually had my therapists write me statements you know because there were people that were after me you know that thought that I was just being a manipulative ex-girlfriend so I had my counselors that I had been talking to the whole time like write me statements um you know that says this letter is written to clarify matter of intent regarding Miss Crystal Lavender a former and her former male roommate you know and it was it I had them all write me um, letters stating that this was something that had been happening, not something that I just all of a sudden made up in my head, you know, because I was jealous or whatever. Right. <clears throat> and that definitely helps, but not in his town. Yeah, no. Yeah, that that sucks. <clears throat> so you you were able to get out of there. You have your own son. You've raised this. How old is your son now? Um, He's 19. He'll be 20 uh, next month. So now that you've been able to get out of all this, you've been able to kind of process through um, most, if not all of this, looking back now, who do you, who would you say inspires you the most? Who was kind of your role model to get through this? Um, Well, to get past my, my drug addiction and to actually write a book, uh, my biggest inspiration was Adam Vibe Gutten, and he is the founder of Recovered on Purpose. Um, he magically ended up in my inbox right when COVID was first going down. I, I, I was like, I mean, and I, I had relapsed and I was really, really, really high. Um, and I was on this weird spiritual mission and um, I was posting all this crazy spiritual stuff and this person just ended up randomly in my inbox. And I was like, well, who is this that I'm even talking to? So I went to his page and, he was the founder of recovered on purpose and something about that statement, that phrase recovered on purpose. I was like, I want to say that, you know, cause me and my friends used to make jokes. So this moment of silence is brought to you by mistake, you know? And <laughs> so I, I was like, wow, recovered on purpose. Like I want to be recovered on purpose. Like not only do I want to say that I want to mean that. And I began like, like watching him, like he wrote a book called from chains to saved and um, he does podcasts on addiction recovery. Like he was a, a, 
um, homeless IV heroin addict that had turned his life around and wrote a book and found Jesus and, you know, has, has, he's on a mission to help other people learn how to tell their stories. So I just kind of quietly sat in the background and watched him for a while and just kept telling myself, I am recovered on purpose. I am recovered on purpose. And that's when I really started delving into the law of attraction and, you know, about how is like super important, you know, like when we say, oh, I'm trying to do this, then the universe only says that is correct. Here's some more. You're trying to do this, you know. Um, so when you start telling yourself I am, then the universe has no other choice but to but to give you evidence of whatever you believe. So when we say that, oh, all my friends are liars, all my friends are liars, the universe says that's correct. Here's some more of all of my friends are liars. If we're like, oh, I have I have to save money, I have to save money, I don't have enough money, the universe says that is correct. Here is some more, I have to save money, I have to save money, I don't have enough money. So the way that we talk to ourselves, our internal dialogue is is probably the most important conversations we can have on a daily basis. So I started saying I am recovered on purpose, even as I was, you know, smoking meth, I was telling myself I am recovered on purpose, I am recovered on purpose. And eventually, that became true. I, I am now recovered on purpose. I am recovered on purpose. I stopped smoking cigarettes the same way. You know, even as I was smoking a cigarette, I was like, I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. And eventually that became true. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. As I was writing my book, I was telling myself I am a published author. You know, I, I, I am a published author and now I am a published author. And it was a combination of things. But Adam Vibe Gutten was a huge, huge inspiration for me. And I am now a recovery coach through through Recovered on Purpose. Like I, I work with and um, I am a proud family member of Recovered on Purpose. That and is fantastic. We are, I wish I could give you like a standing ovation right now. That is amazing. Thank Super you. Cool. Like it. It, I love it. I, you know, I help other people to learn how to tell their story powerfully because I mean, it was ultimately his testimony that wanted me, that made me want to save myself, you know, and everybody's story. Um, we all have that one way of saying it, that, that this one other person can relate to. And then, you know, like they just needed to hear it in our terms and then they get it, you know, like my, only my story can relate to somebody that, that needs to hear what my story can say, you know, and even though we all have our own personal development and our own personal stories, we all have our own way of going about it and um, our own way of understanding. So only our story can get to the person that needs it, you know, so I really try to encourage everybody out there, like every story matters, every story of recovery matters, doesn't matter if you, you know, started off, if you were just, um, if you thought that, oh, I'm just an alcoholic, my story doesn't matter, your story matters. If you were, you know, just abused as a child one time, and it changed your life, your story matters, your survival story matters, there's somebody out there that needs you to tell your story. So I definitely encourage people to speak up. Yes, trauma is not a destination or a competition. It is something that rewires our brains for the rest of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Recovery so, is possible. Yes, always, always. And it's never too late. I mean, I wrote my book. I published my book on my 40th birthday and dedicated it to my inner child. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I might be 40 years old and just now starting out, but I, I'm starting. You know, it's a whole different life for me. Like, I'm completely sober from everything. 
I mean, from the time I was 13 years old until um, I'm over two years sober now. So my sober date is February 14th of 2021. And I just reached over my two years sober, like completely sober of any sort of mind altering substance ever. And that was something that I never thought would be possible. I never even considered it happening. You know, not, not, not to mention like the fact that I'm a, an advocate for recovery. That was something that if you would have told me this five years ago, I would have laughed you out of my existence, you know? And Valentine's day for your sober day. Is that, is there a correlation there? Is that, uh, that you're... absolutely. Yeah. That- Absolutely. Because I always had really horrible Valentine's days. Like, you know, my boyfriend would be crying on my shoulder about his ex-girlfriend. Um, I had a person almost set my house on fire one time on Valentine's day <sighs> because they were drunk and they were, they were cooking me dinner, but passed out drunk crying about their ex-girlfriend on my floor. So I really, my body always remembered these traumatic experiences and it just kept reliving, even though I wasn't going through anything traumatic all the time. Like my body still felt like there was some sort of trauma going on during that time. So I felt like I needed to change those memories. So I declared uh, Valentine's Day as my, my love of self. It's absolutely beautiful. It's poetic. So if somebody wants to grab your book and to read your story, where would they go? Um, they can go to my website, which is crystal-lavender.com and get a free download. Uh, it is also available on Amazon. My book is called Say You Love. It's S-Y-L, Say You Love, and it is a uh, testimony of triumph over the darkness of childhood sexual trauma and addiction. It is on Amazon, and it's free to download on my website at crystal-lavender.com. Like, that actually is my name. You know, I was always thought I was born to be a a stripper or a hippie but no you were born to be recovered on purpose recovered on purpose absolutely (laughs) if you want to look up recovered on purpose recovered on purpose.org i can also be found at crystal at recovered on purpose.org if you want to get a hold of me or if you are need help um, learning how to write your story if you if you are looking uh for addiction you know anything related to addiction or relapse or just wanting to reach out and you know, tell your story, uh, p- please feel free to email me at either uh, reco- uh, crystal at recoveredonpurpose.org or uh, s.y.l say you love at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, my name is Crystal Lavender, so I'm on Facebook. I started a recovery page called Say You Love Recovery, and I am on um, TikTok as Nacho Mama 719. <laughs> that's adorable I love it <laughs> there's always one last question I always ask people before I let them go and if you wouldn't mind answering this one last question for me you've listened to my podcast you probably know exactly what's coming um, what's one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance my soul I love my soul I love my I love my inner being. I love the 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 connectedness that I am to everything in the world. You know, like I have this very deep understanding of connectedness and I truly truly love life and the miracle it is to be alive. And I love the way that it feels to feel connected. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. 
There you're going to find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune into my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. <laughs>